Amen. We've got a lot to celebrate. Amen. His goodness, that He loves us, that He died for us, and that He's granted the victory to us by His grace and His mercy today. Oh, we celebrate Him today. Let's love Him this morning and worship Him. Father, we love You today, Lord God. We thank You, Lord. Oh, for who You are, Lord God. We thank You for victory, Lord God, that we have in Jesus, Lord. Father, we thank You that You're here, Lord, that You're in our midst, God, and that we can come, Lord God, to Your house to worship You, the living God. Father, have Your way in our service this morning. We pray that You will touch every heart and bless us with Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen.
love you. Help us, Lord, to live out what we know and what we espouse. Help us to live out what we believe and what we understand from your word. Help us, Lord, to be more than just hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of your word. To live out this life as a living sacrifice, an expression of praise and glory and honor to you. Lord Jesus, help each one of us to grow, to mature, to advance, to work out in our practical living the life that you have imparted within us by your Spirit. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's important to live out what we espouse. Amen? Yeah. That's it. Talk is oftentimes, as they say, talk can be cheap. You better believe it. And God says, let me see some fruit. Live out what you espouse. Live out what you espouse. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're continuing a sermon series on the life of that fiery prophet Elijah. And I believe this is sermon number 7, and we're getting to the focal point of his life. We're going to call this for such a time as this, but if you do, 1 Kings 18, let's start with verse number 1. The Bible says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Been a drought for about three years, caused by, well, God, caused by Elijah's prayers. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace, and Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Now, in between these verses here, um, Elijah runs into Obadiah and says, Listen, tell King Ahab, uh, I want to see him. I'm going to present myself. And Obadiah says, Hang on here. I'm a good guy. I've been, I've been hiding out and, and covering. I've been protecting the prophets of the Lord. And you're going to say this and the Spirit's going to wish you away somewhere and I'm going to go to the king and you won't be there. And then, you know, my goose is cooked. And so Elijah has to assure him, no, God spoke to me. I'm going to, I'm going to see the king. And so if you drop down to verse 15, drop down to verse 15, Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. And so, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, verse 17, when the king saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Mm. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's command. You followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people, verse 21, and he said, How long will you waver or dance between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. Sometimes silence is not golden. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets that's left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. They can cut it into pieces, put on the wood, but don't set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other. I'll put it on the wood, but I won't set fire to it. Verse 24, then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. 
And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And the people said, what you say is good. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Speak to our hearts. Help us not only to understand it, but to live it out. In Jesus' name, Amen. All of Elijah's life had led him to this meeting on Mount Carmel. A meeting where God would turn the hearts of His wayward people back to Himself. Don't forget the setting. It's very important. The moral and spiritual climate of the nation was the worst than it had ever been. Wicked King Ahab and evil Queen Jezebel, they, they've attempted to stamp out all worship and all memory of the Lord Jehovah. They, they, they caused the covenants have been forgotten and they've, they've attacked and murdered and run off the priests and the prophets. they smashed down His altars. And they're trying to um, make Baal worship. The worship of the kingdom. It was a vile, demonic type of thing. But God's servant, Elijah, had been prepared for this very moment by the dealings of God's Spirit on the anvil of the school of the Spirit, the anvil of God's dealings. He'd grown strong in his faith. He'd come to that place where he learned how to depend on God alone regardless of the circumstance. And now he's ready for this very crucial hour when the fire would fall and God's name once again would be glorified and the hearts of the wayward people would repent and return to faith and fidelity to sincere and singular devotion to the Lord their God. And as we study and preach this text together, I pray that our hearts and our faith would be stirred. I pray that something within us would be ignited and something would cry out, Oh God, do it again! One more time, visit your people in such a powerful and life-changing way. One more time, O oh God, visit families, visit communities, the nation. Visit churches, O oh God, with a great moving of your Spirit. Turn the hearts of the wayward back. One more time, Lord, turn casual, complacent Christians unto on-fire, sold-out believers to the Lord Jesus. One more time, cause the backsliders and those that are lost and don't know the Savior, let them come to a true salvation. One more time, O oh God, expose the false that is prevalent. One more time, O oh God, awaken the slumbering and send your fire. O oh God, please send your fire. For three years, Elijah's been hiding after he presented himself to the king and pronounced the judgment that God would bring upon the land for their backslidings, God said, hide yourself. For three years he's been hiding himself, but now the word of the Lord comes and says, it's time to show yourself. It's time to appear and confront the king and confront the nation and call the people back and expose the futility of Baal worship. Now in these next two weeks, we're going to cover three points, Lord willing. We want to cover, number one, the call to Mount Carmel. The call to Mount Carmel. Number two, the challenge. The challenge to God's people. The challenge to God's people. And then next week, you don't want to miss next week. It's such an exciting story. The confrontation with Baal, the fire will fall again. When the fire falls again. And we'll get to that next week. But this week, number one, the call to Mount Carmel. We see that in verses 16 through 20. The call to Mount Carmel. And in these verses, we see two, two main things. We see the compassion of God's heart. And we see the courage of God's prophet. The compassion of God's heart is seen here in the courage of God's prophet. Now, number one, the compassion of God's heart is seen in this call because God is calling them back. God is taking the first step. God is taking the initiative. They didn't call on Him. They didn't, they didn't repent of their ways. You see, there's something, when people backslide, when people get away from God, there becomes a great disconnect. 
because their hearts get calloused and their minds, it's like spiritual cataracts. They just can't see as they ought to see. And here's a people that um, things are terrible. There's been a drought. There's been a famine. But for some reason, they're unable to connect what's going on to the cause and effect that maybe we need to get right with God, that maybe things are like this because we have been trying to mix Jehovah with the false. But they couldn't get it. And so when you lose spiritual sensitivity... You can go about life thinking everything's just fine and everything's just great. But meanwhile, God was grieved, the famine was real, and the heart of God was angry, not pleased with His people, but they were totally blind to it. Totally blind to it. But God, we see, in His great love, He calls them back and He confronts them because He loves them. Because He's not willing for any to perish. And though they didn't come out and cry out to seek Him, when God finally said enough is enough, He chose to express His love and mercy by calling them and wooing them, just like it is today. God's not willing that any should perish. But just like today, He calls men and women. And if God's calling you, respond to it. If God's dealing with you, don't put it off. Don't reject God's grace, but see the mercy and love of God for what it is and respond to it, embrace it, and let it work its wonders in your life. He's calling the people back. He's knocking on the door of the people's heart. He's reminding them. And He's speaking to them. And He's summoning men. Come back. Come back. Leave the wrong and do the right. This is the compassion of God. He could have just let the whole thing run its course. But finally, the heart of God reaches out to a people that were undeserving of it, unworthy of it. But all oh, the love of God is a great love. It's so full of compassion. It's so full of mercy. He doesn't forget us. He pursues us. And it's by His Spirit He speaks to our hearts. He works through circumstances to try to get our attention, to try to wake us up. And He invites and calls people back. And I, for one, am so glad He does. I, for one, am so glad that He didn't forget me when I was astray. That He didn't just wink at me and say, well, He deserves what He gets. But in His compassion and mercy, He caused things to happen that woke me up. He sent the love and mercy of His call to awaken my heart. We serve a good God. Let's never take that for granted. The God we serve is a God of mercy and grace. Let's never take that for granted. And if God is dealing with a heart this morning, if God is speaking to a conscience, God is trying to deal with you about something, respond to it. Don't wink at it. Don't take lightly the mercy of God. Don't ignore or reject His grace. Respond to it and let Him work His good work in your life. The call to Mount Carmel begins with the compassion of God's heart. After everything those people went through, you would have thought they'd probably wake up and get things right with God, but it doesn't work that way with the backslider often, does it? They just keep going. How's it going? Good. You know it's not good. They haven't been in church in 20 years. They're not living right. They know better than that. But when you get spiritually blind, see, every time you resist the dealing of God's Spirit, you get a little more calloused. Every time you ignore the voice of God, you get a little duller in your ability to hear. And then the next thing you know, you are functioning. And people outside it are looking, saying, what is wrong with them? Why don't they wake up? They know better. 
Why don't they just give God His proper place so the blessing can flow? And you just shake your head. But when you get callous and you get unconcerned and you get desensitized to the voice of the Spirit, you can just live life thinking all is well. Meanwhile, the heart of God is grieved. The tears of God are flowing. And meanwhile, you're going to sooner or later reap what you've sown. But you don't have to. There's the compassion of God reaches out and calls to us today. The compassion of God. But secondly, I want us to see in this call the courage of God's prophet. And you see verses 17 and 18, when finally the two meet, when he sees Elijah, the king says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah replies, I haven't made trouble. You and your family have made trouble. You've abandoned God. That's what's causing the trouble. So let's look at this for a moment. The courage of God's prophet. I mean, King Ahab and Elijah, well, they finally meet. It must have been something to see. Think about it. Remember, Elijah is the most wanted man in the land. He's the most wanted man in a few kingdoms here. And King Ahab has sent people searching everywhere in every kingdom nearby to see if he's hiding out there. And then when they meet each other, see how Ahab addresses him. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? You know, when the king um, greets you like that, you know he's not planning on giving you the key to the city. (laughs) He's not going to put your name on a plaque and invite you to a, a testimonial dinner. Isn't that right? Years ago, Dave Wilkerson preached a message entitled, We Need More Troublemakers. (laughs) His main character was Paul, but he could have used Elijah. Spiritual troublemakers that are willing to live so bold and holy for Jesus that they disturb the devil's peace. Sometimes we got to disturb the devil's peace. God knows we could use a few more spiritual troublemakers in the hour in which we live. Can I get an amen from God's people? In an hour that we pray, O oh God, give us more men and women that desire your praise rather than men's applause. That God, you'll give us people that will really strive to please you, even when it costs them the approval of men and the convenience of self. Because I would suggest to you and I this morning and those that are listening, some of our greatest battles as believers is not with the devil, but it's what that rascal S-E-L-F, self, is with us. And sometimes Jesus Christ, the greatest threat He is, is to your carnal man and my carnal man. But He'll demand of us living sometimes how we don't want to live. And He'll call us to do things that we don't want to do. And that's why we call Him Lord. Can you say amen? That's why we sing the songs about living sacrifices. Because we lay aside our rights and we lay aside our desires. They're all secondary to Jesus Christ and His will. And we put Him first and we live wholeheartedly for Him. A living sacrifice. I don't just nod when I come to the temple and do my signs. But I live 24-7 for Jesus Christ. I live according to that Word. And I say, Lord Jesus, You are Lord of my life. Have Your way. Live in me. Live through me. Somebody say Amen. We pray, O oh God, give us men and women willing um, lives willing to live unashamed and all out for Jesus. This is the courage of God's prophet. You know, it took courage. It takes courage to really live all out for God. Moral courage. You know, Jesus warned us. He says, if you live for me, you'll you'll get some resistance and you'll get some, at times, rejection and ridicule from the society in which we live that's not serving God from from, from yourself, like we just mentioned, and sometimes even from those close to us that aren't walking with God. But imagine the scene, the courage of God's prophet, three years without a drop of rain, every brook, every river dried up, dust everywhere. The carcasses, the skeletons of the, uh, of the dead animals just lying in the sand. And into this, 
Watch the man who's being blamed for it all. It took courage for Elijah to go to Ahab. And when he hears Ahab's words, I love this. When he hears Ahab's words, he quickly shifts the blame right to where it belongs. You see that in verse 18. And pretty much when he's saying, hey king, guess what? The drought is not God's fault. I'd like to tell someone, the drought is not God's fault. The drought is not the fault of heaven. It's the fault of men that have rejected heaven's rule and ignored heaven's God and gone about their business as if heaven didn't exist. Oh, the prophet said it so well. The drought is not God's fault. He says, oh king, it's your fault and those before you that have rejected God's covenant have ignored God's Word and have chosen to worship other ways and other people before the Lord your God. And whenever you do that, there will be consequences. There will be a payday someday. Somebody give God a praise. So it took courage. Sometimes it takes courage to live right. The right way is not always the easy way, but it's the right way when it's God's way. And we have to remember that we are all called To be like Elijah in certain ways. We said this from the beginning that God is looking for men and women like Elijah in this present hour. He was a man that stood apart from the norm of society, the norm, the flow of how the morality was going and what was popular and convenient in the culture. He stood apart from that. But he also stood for the cause and the convictions of the Lord his God. And that can be costly. If you serve Christ wholeheartedly, it might cost you some freedoms. It might cost you some friends. It might cost you some personal desires. Jesus um, articulated like this. He says that we're in the world. We're in this physical world. We work alongside it. We walk alongside it. We shop alongside it. We are in this world. But we are not of this world's morality or philosophy or lifestyle or worldview. And that's all the difference. Our worldview is built and founded upon the Word of God. Our lives are governed by the clear revelation that God has given us in the book. We don't get to pick and choose. We get to surrender and say, yes, Lord. This demands moral courage and moral discipline to truly live all out for Christ in a fallen, sin-soaked generation. To keep the convictions and live out the lifestyle in a practical way, in a practical way. Not just theoretically, not just verbally, but to live it out in reality. It takes the courage, it takes the discipline. And Elijah gives you and I a great example of standing courageously for God. And such courage as we study the Scripture, we'll see that it's caused by knowing that you're in God's will and therefore being convinced that God is with you. I mean, he was, he was courageous because he knew he was in God's will. And secondly, therefore, he knew God was with him. You see, a courage is created and produced. There's a boldness. A spiritual daring is produced when we know we're walking in the will of God. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? Let's face it. Nothing makes the believer, underlying believer, I'm talking to the church, nothing makes the believer more uncertain and insecure than not being sure we're in the will of God. You ever want to see someone waver and be double-minded? They're don't, not sure about the will of God. They're not convinced about that will of God. You've got to be convinced that you know what you know and believe what you believe. But nothing, on the other hand, is more encouraging, more steadying, more comforting than knowing for sure that we are in the will of God. 
That being convinced and knowing that we know. And friend, that's why God has given us a book. We don't have to be moved by this feely thing. I'm going to tell you as a pastor of over 25 plus years, eight out of ten times someone tells us about the Spirit talking to them is their human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And if we just get back to living the book, you'll see how things won't work. Now, that book will rub us the wrong way because my carnal nature likes to be impatient, likes to be selfish. Like you know, Come on, say amen. You're with me. I know that. We're all made out of the same junk, all right? But where my feelings can change and I can manipulate my feelings, I can't manipulate that book as easy, can I? Harder to manipulate that book. Easier to manipulate my feelings. See, God just told me it's the Word of the Lord to tell you off. No, that's not God. But the Spirit told me, well, not the Holy Spirit. It might have been a spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. It might have been your human spirit that got frustrated. Amen? Easy to manipulate those emotions, isn't it? And justify them. A lot harder to manipulate the book. Oh, a lot harder. Oh, that's why He gave us something. It is written, Jesus said. It is written. Not it is felt. Not it is, you know, it is written. Oh, glory. So we say it again, if we're honest, nothing makes the believer more uncertain and insecure than not being sure of the will of God. That's why we pray before we make decisions. That's why we study the Word of God so we can be firm in our convictions before we make a covenant, we make a move. So that when we make that move and hell attacks or things don't go, we, have a, we know we're in the will of God. But to do things flippantly and just hastily. And then the storm hits and quite frankly, there's not strong faith there, but we're not really convinced. Maybe I zigged when I should have zagged. But for those that know the will of God and are convinced of what the Word of God says, then there's a great encouragement, a great comfort, a great steadying when we know that. Then no matter what the circumstances are, we can face them with faith. Then regardless of what happens, we can face confidently whatever stands in our way. Knowing that if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on, church, let's think about that for a moment and get happy. If God be for us, then what storm or what slander or what setback can be against us? If God, our God, the living God, the almighty God, the ever faithful God, if that God be for us, then what challenge or what circumstance can keep us down when God wants to lift us up? No, 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 it is written, it is written, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Oh, it pays to know you're in the will of God. It pays to walk according to the Word of God and have a steady faith and a consistent faith and a knowing I'm in the will of God. might not be easy, but I can stand knowing that He'll bring me through this. Courage comes when we're conscious of the presence and the pleasure of God. Courage comes to the heart of the believer when we're conscious of the presence and the pleasure that God is pleased. Yeah, He's with us, but if He's not pleased with us, there's a different story. But when I know He's with me, and I know He's pleased with me, that breeds a great courage in my heart. Romans 8, Romans 8, look at verses 28. Uh, 31 and 32, I'm sorry, Romans 8, there we go. 
What then should we say to these things, Paul writes? If God is for us. And really it says, since God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that an encouraging word? I mean, I mean, I bless you. If you're a Bible believer, if you're a scripture person, if you're a man or woman that loves the Lord Jesus, that ought to bless you. It simply says, regardless of what comes our way, since God is for us, can these things overtake us? Can these things ultimately defeat us? Can these things knock us down and keep us down? Not of God be for us. And is God for us? Are you a Christian? Then you better believe that He is. Now, sometimes we miss it, but don't you ever forget God is with us and God is for us. Because look at that next verse. Paul says, well, let me explain. Explain it to you. Let me prove it to you. Let me give you a little lesson from logic. If he didn't spare his own son when we were sinners and we were rebels and we were just doing our own thing. Anyone ever do their own thing? I'm I'm glad you smiled, but if not, I I know I'm in the wrong place. Amen. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If he loved us that much when we were sinners... How much more now that we're sons and now that we're daughters? Look at what he said. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Oh my, come on. Paul just said, let me appeal to some logic around here to encourage your faith that when you're going through the storm, you believe that He's with you and you believe that He's for you. If He loved you when you were a sinner, if He went after you when you were straying and didn't want Him, now that you do love Him and now that you are serving Him, don't you think He'll stand by your side always? Don't you think He'll give you the grace you need to get through that challenge? Don't you know? If you need peace, He's got that. If you need comfort, He's got that. If you need counsel, He's got that. Along with Jesus' salvation, won't He give us all things? Everything we need to live this life and live it is more than conquerors. He's not taking away the trial. He's not taking away the storm. But He's promised to walk with us through it and give us whatever we need to go through it like a child of God. Can you say amen? That's what the Bible teaches. Look at that in our next verse in Joshua. Again, we're talking about the courage of God's prophet. How can such a man be courage, courageous like that? I'd still be hiding from the king. Amen? I said, Lord, that couldn't have been you. <laughs> God, I mean, they want me to use wisdom around here. Amen? This guy's going to kill me. Yeah, I'm going to send the deacons first. And, and you know, I'll have Brother Jerry check out the land. And if the king smiles at him, then maybe I'll come out of hiding. But you know how it is. It takes courage sometimes to stand up for the Lord. I cost you your job. You've got to stand up for the Lord. Where did that courage come from? Being conscious of God's presence and God's pleasure. He's with me and He's pleased with me. But if He's not pleased with me, I better get it right. But see, He'll chastise those He loves. God ever chastise you? I've had my spankings. I'd rather not. Amen? I, I, I'd rather respond to the Holy Spirit real quick and get things right then try to ignore them and have God have to get my attention otherwise. Amen? God's no different than most good parents. First thing, you give the kids those rules. Isn't that right? When they're little, you give them them rules. They break the rule, maybe you speak to them once. Oh, they don't listen to the Word, then you've got to use another way to get their attention. Isn't that right? Now, they could have just obeyed the Word to begin with. We can just obey the Word. Okay, they could have heard it when you spoke a little clearer. Well, they're ignoring those ways. Cha-cha-cha comes out. Amen? Oh, Grandma had the wooden spoon, but I won't go down that road. Oh, Lord. They didn't mess around in those days. But anyway, if you study your Bible, God deals with us the same way. He gives us a written word, doesn't He? 
to know right and wrong. But if we disobey that, there's conviction in the conscience, isn't there? He speaks to us clearer, doesn't He? And then the next thing He'll do, I don't know about you, He'll give people close calls. And when, you're, when you get so messed up, you, you think you're getting lucky. And you don't recognize that's just the mercy of God trying to get through to you a close call. Hoping it'll wake you up and get, you, get your house in order. But if that don't work, then He pulls out the rug. But he don't pull out the rug because he hates you. If you're his child, he pulls out the rug because he loves you. And if you keep going that way, you'll get to a point. You see? So courage comes. I recognize, I'm aware of God's presence with me, but also God's pleasure upon me. This is what God said to Joshua. When Joshua's getting ready to take the land and make an advancement. You know, when you go forward in God, there's challenges out there. When you go forward in God, there's things out there that will try to hinder you. And will try to discourage you. When God's called you to believe for something, when God's called you to enter into a new ministry, when God's called you to claim a certain promise, the enemy will try to discourage your faith and hinder your faith. And here Joshua is going into a new day, claiming that land, taking the people into their promised land. And God gives them such a wonderful promise. He says, Joshua, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. And he said it three times in this little, little group of verses. Because you need courage to go forward in God. You need courage to face the things that would try to make you go backwards in God or give up on really being sold out for God. But he says, be strong and have a good courage. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed. Don't be terrified or discouraged. And he said, why, why? But God says, because Joshua, listen, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You can know you got my presence with you. The enemy will try to hinder you. The resistance of the enemy will try to turn you back. But you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be discouraged by that. You know the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The presence of God. But now, most of you know the story. The context, he just got done saying, let the Word of the Lord never leave your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. What's he saying? Make sure I'm pleased with you. Make sure you live in such a way, Joshua, where not only is my presence with you, but my smile is upon you. There's a difference there, amen? If you read the context, he just got done telling Joshua, listen, make sure you live and walk according to that Word. Make sure you obey that Word and do that Word. Then, you know my smile's on you. You can have the assurance that my presence is with you. Then you can walk courageously and take on whatever tries to hinder your way. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. The call to Mount Carmel, the compassion of God's heart, in the courage of God's prophet. Oh, Lord. And now, the challenge to the people. The challenge to the people of God. And we'll just touch on this very quickly. The challenge to the people of God. It's short and direct. And it's simply choose and change. Choose and change. In the story here, representatives from all the ten northern tribes were, were, were gathered. Were gathered. And... Elijah's purpose was not just to expose the false god Baal, but also to bring those wayward, compromising people back to the Lord. And that's important. And the people, you see verse 21, he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? And the Hebrew is kind of like how we get the word dance. You know, you dance with two partners, isn't that right? You get married, you only get one partner, amen? Isn't that right? Now everyone said, amen. All right, just making sure. Making sure we got that one down, Fado. We got real problems. All right. 
But he's saying, that's the word. He goes, you, you can't be serving Baal when it's convenient than serving the Lord when it sounds good. He's calling for a choice. Choose you this day. They were wavering, dancing between two opinions. They're trying to serve both God and Baal. And how do we... And you see that a lot today. It's a terrible sin of mixture. It leads, listen friend, it leads to a religion of convenience. Some can call themselves Christians, but really their lifestyle says, my religion is religions of convenience. Let me explain a little bit to you. Let me help you just kind of apply this to where we're living. You see, it's, um, you would see people around us, especially in Bible Belt, that are not all out denying, would never deny Christ. But they live for Christ in some ways, in part ways. But then they live for themselves other ways, when it's more convenient. They live for Christ when it's convenient. They'll disregard the words of Christ when it cramps their style or it hinders them from doing what they want to do. You see, self. How many of you know self still likes to be Lord? Self still likes to be Lord. And when I waver between two opinions, what happens is I will tend to go towards a religion of convenience. When it's convenient to mention Jesus and that'll be helpful and that's proper. After all, that's how I was raised. It's our, our culture. Then it's cool. But when serving Jesus cramps my style or it's going to hinder this old nature, um, you know what? I'm going to bow to a different God. Me. You know, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to remain uncommitted in the hour of decision. To linger in the neutral zone. But how many of us know this morning that God does not accept spiritual neutrality? In this part of the story, and we don't have time to dig into it real deep, but this part of the story teaches us that God demands people make a choice. Make a choice. Because He won't allow us to serve Him when it's convenient and then do our own thing when that's convenient. He doesn't accept that. He didn't die on the cross for that. Look at, look at what Jesus in Mark 1, verses 17 and 18. Look at what He says here. He's calling people to discipleship. And here it is. Here's the call. It goes out to all people. Come, follow me, Jesus says. And I'll make you. Fishers and men. He says, come and follow me. And if you'll follow me, I'll give you the grace to do the job. I'll make you. I'll work in you. I'll give you my Holy Spirit so you can live this life. But then you see that next verse. There has to be a response to the invitation of God. There has to be a wholehearted response. And it says, at once those disciples, they left their nets and followed Him. There is a determined decision to go after Christ. When God calls a person to salvation, He's saying you're going to have no more gods before me. From this time on, you can't have two masters in your life. You just have me. The people here wanted to serve God. In our story, they wanted to serve Jehovah, but they still wanted to be in the world. That's how we would describe it. They wanted to live how they chose, what was convenient at the moment. They called themselves Israelites and believers, but they still did their own thing. Again, not an all-out rejection. See, most of the people, again, they were trying to dance between two opinions. It was not an all-out rejection of Jehovah. But, on the other hand, because it was the popular thing at the time, they wanted to enjoy some of the privileges and pleasures of bowing to Baal. 
It was popular in that culture. It was everybody was doing it. So it's not like they were totally saying Jehovah's no good. They were just saying, well, well, we'll serve him when we serve him. But you know what? Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is. You know, we, we, we want to reserve the right to ignore that when it's not convenient and give ourselves to this. And that you see a lot in the present hour. That you see a lot in the present hour. Trying to get some principles from thousands of years ago to today. We live in an age where people often dance between two opinions. They won't deny the Lord. That's how they were raised. They know the songs and they'll try to fit in when they got a visit. But when it's not convenient out there, they'll disregard the book. They won't be governed by God's law. Instead, they'll make up their own rules and they'll worship the God of convenience or self. And that's the principle we glean from this age-old story. And I know, I know, I know. It's unpopular in this politically correct age. I know, I know, I know. It's out of style. In a world of spiritual mixture and tolerance that's run amok. But the Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God is very, very clear. God will not accept any rival in our lives. He wants a sold-out people, a devoted people, a people that will be that living sacrifice, a people that will follow Him and obey Him in His Word with all their might and with all their strength, with all that is within them. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? He says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, and strength. And if this seems too much for some, if this seems maybe a little bit too much for the comfortable Christian, please let me remind you that God sold out for us. That Jesus gave Himself completely to ransom us and redeem us. To die for us. To shed His blood that we might be forgiven to give Himself and endure our judgment. And I would suggest to you and remind you this morning, the Lord Jesus is worthy and He is completely deserving of our all-out devotion and wholehearted living to Him. Can you say amen? amen? All right, let me just close this down. If we were to say, what's the point here, Elijah? The point Elijah is bringing out today is the day of decision. So whether it's salvation or total dedication, let's make up our minds to give God our very best. Let's lay down any idol. Let's reject anything that's trying to keep us from pleasing Him and walking with Him. Let's get the house in order. Let's put our priorities in place. And let's get right with our brother. Can you say amen? Next week, next week, the confrontation with Baal or the day the fire fell. That's an exciting story. We're going to rebuild that altar. And we're going to receive some fire. Amen? But let me leave you with this last story and then we'll have our prayer. I read about a fellow that pulled his car over to the side of the road and asked an old woman um, how far it was to a certain town. Well, the lady said, Well, son, if you keep going the way you're headed, it's about 25,000 miles. But if you'll turn around, it's just three miles down the road. Can I encourage someone? Sometimes it's not that hard if you'll just get your directions right. It's, with God so full of mercy, it's not that hard 
if you're willing to make the changes that are necessary in order to walk with this God. Remember, he says, I'll make you if you follow me. If you do your part, God says, I'll give you grace and help and assistance to live this life, to overcome the old, to enter in. We're going to pray. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, for those that are here this morning and you're living faithfully for the Lord, I encourage you, be courageous. Recognize His presence. Stand apart from the rest and stand boldly for Jesus. Amen? And let God use you in this present hour. God's looking for vessels. Amen? God's looking for men and women that He can use. But secondly, if you're here today and you know things are not where they need to be between you and Jesus, then make a fresh surrender. Make the proper changes. To give Him first place. Make a sincere devotion and dedication to Christ. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart, respond to it this morning. Respond to it. Whatever God's speaking to your heart, respond to it. Don't ignore it. And let's, can we make a goal in this coming year? Let's grow together. Let's grow together. Every one of us. We all are on the journey. Let's grow. Can we be determined that we're going to grow in Christ? No matter where we're at, let's grow in Christ. Bow your hearts with me. Let's pray our prayer. Father, we thank you for these lessons from the life of Elijah. Dear God, help us to be a sold out people. A people who are fully devoted to Jesus in public and in private. Father, use our lives to be your vessels in this present hour. We offer ourselves to you, Lord. Use us to touch the world around us. Use us as your vessel of blessing and hope. And Father, help each one of us to grow and mature in our Christian experience. And Lord, if we need to make a change, then give us the grace to do it and stick with it. If we need to make a change, Lord, and you're speaking to our hearts about something in our heart or in our homes, or Lord... Give us the grace to make the change and to stick with it. Now, Father, mature us, mend us, and make us into the men and women you've called us to be. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, touch the hurting. If anyone's here today and they need a touch in their body, Father, as they look in faith to You, Lord, reach down and touch them. Let Your healing power flow. Father, in Jesus' name, let streams of healing virtue flow. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Oh God, let your life, resurrection, life be released. Bring healing, bring mending. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, touch the hurting and strengthen the weary. And refresh, Lord, give joy. Let there be a fresh rejoicing in the hearts of the thirsty. Those that are thirsty, Lord, as they lift their cup up to you, fill it afresh. And let this be a week of rejoicing. Let this be a week of renewed strength. Let this be a week of divine appointments. Fruitful efforts. In Jesus' name and all God's people.